My name is Alan Carter. Man, I am so glad you are with me for this next conversation. I have an admission to make. I love music, Canadian music especially. And sometimes I think to myself, what's my favorite era of Canadian music? Like Desert Island, what would, what would I pick? I mean, sometimes I think to myself, you know, 70s, like I, I think I could just live on a desert island only with Gord's Gold, and I'd be fine. And then I think, well, maybe, no, maybe I'd like some of that 80s new wave out of Toronto, Martha and the Muffins, Blue Peter, Spoons from my hometown of Burlington. Love that. Love that era. Or then, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe some of that can rock in the 90s, the ascendancy of the hip. That was a good era. Well, my next guest has written about those eras before, but he's got a new book out. Michael Barkley is the author of a new book called Hearts on Fire, Six Years That Changed Canadian Music, 2000 to 2005. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me today. All right. Why 2000 to 2005? Why look at that? Um, It's much more than Canadian music during that time. It was really when the entire music industry changed with uh, the influence of the internet and and online media and file sharing. And uh, it was a time when it was a lot easier for your music to get heard uh, around the world in ways that really benefited Canadians and particularly the weirdo Canadians. This is when the weirdos won. I mean, Canadians always had international successes. Um, You know, people like Rush or Loverboy or Celine Dion or Shania or whoever, but this was when people who weren't even trying to get on the radio uh, suddenly were selling tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of records uh, around the world. Yeah, it was suddenly Canada cool. And as you as you say, this was not what you would think of as top 40 or, or big hit records. What are some of the bands that you would put in this list? Well, I mean, one of the first bands of that time is a band called Godspeed You Black Emperor, which doesn't sound like a commercial name, and they're not a commercial band. They're an anti-capitalist collective of nine people playing 20-minute instrumental songs. Uh, So that's never going to be on radio. And they were one of the first bands that kind of cracked open the perceptions of what Canadian music could be, uh, which was a bit of a punchline in a lot of circles for a long time. So I think Godspeed was one of the first bands to do that. Then you had people like Peaches, who moved to Berlin, and uh, making really sexually charged electro that she's proved to be very influential, um, still is in that in that town in Germany. Um, and then um, eventually you had people like Broken Social Scene and Arcade Fire uh, doing very, very well commercially and and people like Leslie Feist. Um, those are some of the bigger names in, in the book and Tegan and Sarah as well had their early days. Um, but you know, the Deers, the Stars, uh, Sam Roberts, uh, Corb Lund, the Be Good Tanya's, uh, Joel Plaskett, Sarah Harmer. It goes on and on and on. The Weaker Thans. Oh, the, the Weaker Thans. You mentioned that for just coincidentally over the last week or so, I have just had Left and Leaving on repeat. I just, I'm just really right back into that and love that time. What were you doing during that time when all of that music was happening? Oh, yeah. I was in clubs many, many nights. I was also the musician for part of that time, uh, opening for some of these bands. Um, I was a music writer interviewing the bands. Uh, I was heavily involved and I took a lot of notes at the time because I could sense that something special was happening. And I, I knew I wanted to preserve that, whether it would be a book in the future or not, I, I didn't know. But I just thought that this was something unusual and, and, and particularly creatively fertile happening right now. When you talk to somebody like a, a Leslie Feist or... Um you know, the, the members of Broken Social Scene, what do, how do they look back on that time? 
It's a really interesting time to write this book because it's, you know, 15, 20 years after a lot of the events. So all these people are now in their 40s, some in their early 50s. And, you know, there's a lot of maturity and reflection and, you know, recognizing like, oh, yeah, that was really stupid what we did. Or I can't believe we pulled that off. Or, um, you know what, we did the right thing by saying no to that particular offer. Like that kind of maturity is is really great perspective and also you know it's not too far away from the events that people forget a lot of things or you know the drugs and alcohol haven't fully taken their toll like people's minds are, are still pretty sharp so it was, it was a good time to write this book what's the ongoing influence of that time of of the time when as you say the weirdos won i think it's creative fearlessness and i think it's you know, don't try to make music that you think will belong on the radio, unless you love the music that's on the radio, you know, do what you want, but like, don't purposely uh, try and tailor what you're doing to fit others' expectations, because ultimately, when you're really true to yourself, that's, that's the stuff that succeeds. And so, you know, there's definitely artists today that are influenced by the artists I'm talking about. But also, I think that it's really that approach to, to business and to creativity that's that's kind of the long, longer lasting influence um, of, of this time period and proving that, you know, Canadian music doesn't have to sound like Neil Young and it doesn't have to sound like Celine Dion. It can it can really just be its own um, new, unique thing. And, and that's what will draw the world's attention. You talk about the technology that changed during that time. And I often think now that we are in this um, streaming uh, era and that how that has changed how we consume music. Like, can we ever, will we ever see anything like this again, where we have a kind of a, a wave or, you know, some kind of, some sort of cohesive mo movement uh, of music where when everyone has access to everything at all time, uh, and I don't know if that can ever happen again. I mean, there's always narratives to be drawn from from stuff that happens. Um, I mean, you could certainly talk about the hip hop and R&B in Canada uh, post Drake. You could talk about the indigenous re renaissance in music. Um, there are other narratives to be written um, that evolve around a cohesive theme. Um, but could something like this happen again? I mean, of course. But I do think part of the the what was special about that time was that sense of discovery, and you had to. Uh, you had to work a little hard to find it and and it was novel then and it's no longer novel to other people that Can canadians make great mu music i hope it's certainly not novel to canadians themselves but um like i said this kind of changed perception so now nobody is surprised when something amazing comes out of canada i mean even drake's success is is unusual they're like oh a uh, half black half jewish rapper from toronto like you know 10 years earlier that would have been laughed out of the room um and uh, so, again, it doesn't really matter what particular genre of music or what particular uh, commercial approach people are taking, whether they're fiercely independent or whether they really want to be the biggest star in the world. I think I think this period of time really changed all perceptions. Michael, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Please be well. Thank you so much. The book is called Hearts on Fire. Thanks. That's Michael Barkley, who is, as he mentioned, his new book, Hearts on Fire, Six Years That Changed Canadian Music from 2000 to 2005. And it was an exciting time to be listening to music. I remember it all the time. Thinking, oh, just my playlist was nothing but CanCon.